Wake up. Stand up. Shake someone's hand. Let them know you love them this morning. Turning back to your seats. Welcome. We're finishing up a year, guys. You made it. Congratulations. It's been a year. It has. Especially for people in this community. Michael and certainly devastated this community, but I'm so glad that we're more than a hurricane and that God's grace continues to shine upon us and that we can make it through. We've started to rebuild and there's no hurricane going to keep us down for long. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. When you're there in Ephesians, hold your place and turn to James chapter 2. Are you glad to be in the house of God today? There's plenty of other places you could be, but I appreciate you guys coming. Knowing that we serve a God who is alive. He's not dead. He was gifted to us over 2,000 years ago, wrapped in swaddling clothes, but I'm so glad he didn't stay in a feeding trough, but he rose to become a man mighty in stature and spirit, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and he gave his life for all of us on the cross. Amen. Shed his precious blood that we might have life and life eternal, and rose again on that third day to conquer death for us all, and now sits at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. Isn't that amazing? Amen. That's something to shout about, folks. Today is, I was telling a couple that this is the hardest message I've ever had to, to write, and one because it came out of personal conviction, out of that personal conviction, personal awareness, and out of that, it's often hard to write from, but I believe that this word is not only for myself, it's meant to share, so I hope that you can receive it today and it touches you as it touched me. These two passages of scripture we're going to read today came from a personal devotion that I had, and from that, it caused a great reflection, and I hope you can see why. We're starting in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. If you please stand for the reading of God's Word. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, turn over to James. Chapter 2. James chapter 2 and verse 17. When you're there, say amen. amen. Scripture says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well. The demons also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? 
Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? Verse 23, And the scripture was fulfilled with which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. In this like manner also was Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, and so faith without works is dead also. May God bless the reading of his word. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We magnify your name. We exalt you far above the whole earth, Father. Everything else here today means nothing except for you and the worship of you, Father. Help us today to receive the word that you have so graciously given to us, the love letter written to us. Help us to understand what it means for our lives and help us to do it and be obedient to your call. Help us today to be hearers and not, not just hearers but doers, Lord. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So you can see by me reading these two passages of Scripture how a possible conundrum can create itself. You look at Ephesians and it says, by faith are you saved, by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Then you see here in James, where it says that by works, not by faith alone. What to do with this? What to do? Many people would argue this is a contradiction in Scripture. And I'm here to tell you today that it's not. There is no contradictions in Scripture. James is simply explaining the faith that Paul talked about in Ephesians. Genuine faith. What, what is genuine faith? Genuine meaning true, meaning authentic. What does that mean? It means faith that is authentic and is true is evidenced by works. So this is beginning to stir in my heart called some self-reflection. And at that self-reflection, God started bringing to me things in my life that I needed to change, things in my life I needed to alter, things in my life I needed to prune away, to cut off, that wasn't exactly agreeing with the character of God. As I also began to make this journey, He also began to turn my mind to people in my life that I knew I needed to witness to, to share that gospel, to share that good news that I had been avoiding for so long. How do you have a conversation with a family member or friend that is lost? I charge you that it is most likely going to be one of the most difficult things that you'd ever have to do. You know, and my wife and I went to North Carolina and met some of our family members again. And, you know, we, with that always comes a little bit of hesitation, but also joy. You know what I'm talking about. But it also, as you begin to lose family members, you begin to gain this perspective that time is short. And that death comes for us all. If the Lord tarries. How many of you ever instantly had the face of one of your family members or friends come to your mind when I said, have you ever thought had a conversation with a family member who was lost? Or do you need to? We as human beings are often afraid of being offensive or trying to sever a relationship or a bond by what we say that even though what we say might have truth to it, we're afraid that it might be offensive and by being offensive we might destroy a relationship. We become so afraid of offense that saying that we're afraid to say the wrong thing, afraid of actually telling the truth when it's needed. So what do we do then? 
We don't have those difficult conversations. We choose to think of lighter topics. Let's just avoid it altogether. I too have been guilty of this very thing. I've had family members laid upon my heart that I, that I know in my heart God is speaking to me, telling them to talk with them, have a conversation with them. But I willingly choose not to simply because it's easier. I've been debating this very issue in my spirit. As many of us do when confronted by a task that God wants us to do and that we don't want to do, we simply just put it aside, placing something in place of it, something that we consider more important. Anyone else had the same experience or I'm just the only one? Okay. So as I was debating this very thing in my spirit, the Holy Spirit comes to me as he often does and has just the perfect way to tell you something to correct a wrong in your spirit. And he says this. He said, imagine this. Imagine your loved one is blindfolded and they're headed straight for a cliff that hangs over an abyss. And you, who are not blindfolded, know that they're headed straight for that cliff and headed to walk off that cliff into the abyss to a certain fate. And knowing that, but rather than tell them they're headed in the wrong direction, rather than offending them because they think they're headed right even though they're blindfolded, you say nothing. And the end result is just as you expect. They head over the cliff into the fate that they have assumed. This is exactly what happens when we know of a family member or loved one that is lost and don't say anything. That blindfold is the blindfold deception of the enemy. That they're okay, that everything's fine, that there's no one to worry about everything because there's nothing wrong. The enemy has covered their eyes like a blindfold. They're headed toward eternal destruction. But true love cares more about the person than about the offense. True love cares more about the person than the offense. I'm sure many of you have a friend that you know you can always go to, whether it's about an outfit you're wearing or about something that you're doing. They're always willing to be honest with you. And you keep one of those friends in your back pocket because we all have friends that like to tell us what we want to hear. But there's always that one friend that tells us what we need to hear. I charge that you keep that friend close because they're very few and hard to find. That is true love. So what's this first step toward reconciliation? The first step begins with you, begins with us. I want to briefly discuss a verse that many people take out of context and by doing so have locked themselves away comfortably in a box of non-offense. I don't know what happened as we progress in this generation of Christianity, but now we've moved more and more close to the position that we don't want to be offensive. There's a difference between being offensive and spreading the truth of the gospel. Because I'd rather be offensive and be in the truth of the gospel and lead people to salvation than rather be non-offensive and blindly letting these individuals with a blindfold walk straight into the abyss there's eternal destruction. Let's read Matthew chapter 7. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. Starting in verse 1. This is a very famous passage of Scripture. This is actually the Sermon on the Mount. This is one of arguably Jesus' most famous sermons. Many theologians would agree with that. But in this sermon, 
It's a very important sermon because it talks about going from just a believer to being a disciple. And in our path, it doesn't end with just a prayer of salvation. That's just the very beginning. It's the start of a new life, a new beginning, a new creature. becoming All things become new. Old things pass away. All things become new. But when you say that prayer of salvation, instantly Jesus begins to clean up things that don't agree with his character. That's not any man's job. That's not any pastor's job. That's not any family member's job. That is the Holy Spirit's job. God only called us to be fishers of men. He didn't call us to clean them. That is the Holy Spirit's job. But in this, as becoming starting a believer, you have to make this gradual journey to this discipleship. And this journey is an arduous one. It's very difficult. It's not easy to lay aside every weight, to lay aside your will, your own dreams, your own passions, your own desires, and make them the will of the God in your life. It's a very hard job. But it's a job that is necessary. It's a job that we are called to do out of being obedient to the Word of God. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Judge not that ye be not judged, for with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. And with what measure ye measure, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest thou not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast the mote out of thy brother's eye. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet, and turn again and lacerate you. Most people stop there. You know, I always remember growing up, and I'd, you know, call one of my family members, the cousins, they tell a lie. I said, they lied. And that was a frequent verse that we heard with, through our grandparents, that judge not lest you be judged. It's often a defensive scripture. We've all used it. We've all seen it, heard it used. It's heard many times. And it's very powerful, and it's very something to pay attention to, because we're called not to be judged. Judge others. But if we're going to judge others, make sure you understand that with the same judgment that you judge others is the same judgment that God will impute upon you. Amen. So watch what you say about other people. Watch what you accuse them of without looking at yourself first. That's the first step in this. And it's a very important step. This is what I'm talking about when I had this personal look in my life. As soon as I had these family members, these friends, these, these people that God had brought to my attention that I need to witness to, he says, you're going to be useless in doing this unless you take the splinter out of your own eye. That's hard stuff to hear, folks. How many of you know you're not perfect? That's a tough thing to admit. We all like what we look like to ourselves. We all think we're okay. It's everybody else that's the problem. That's the first, I don't know why that's an easy response for people, but it is. Why is it easy? Because it's, we don't have to do anything about ourselves. We don't have to face anything in our life that might be a little bit hurt spot, you know, that might, we need to deal with. We just like to sweep it under the rug and look at everybody else. That is a definite problem in the church that needs to be changed. But if you listen to Scripture, there's a difference between judging and what comes later. Because people take this passage of Scripture and leave it alone, but no Scripture is meant to stand alone. Scripture is meant to be taken as a whole, not in part. Let's continue. As we move on, let's look at verse 16. 
Matthew chapter 7, verse 16. Scripture says, Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth bad fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn into and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. So we're called not to judge. But Jesus says, Beware of false prophets. And he talks about this passage of Scripture about fruit. Why is this here? If we're not called to judge, but we're called to be fruit inspectors. What's the difference? Fruit is the ability to discern. It's the spirit of discernment. And if you look at a person's life, we all bear fruit, whether that fruit be the fruit of the Spirit. A good comparison is the fruit of the Spirit or the seven deadly sins. Or no fruit at all. Why is this important? Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. There are three possibilities of fruit bearing. We are freely and abundantly bearing forth the fruit of Christ, the love, joy, peace, the kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruit of the Spirit. That's what in my mind, when I see the fruit that God wants us to bear, that is the very fruit I think he's talking about. Because there's no character of God that you can't get from, in my opinion, those seven, the fruit of the Spirit. Are you bearing that fruit? Is that what's being produced in your life? And I believe as you make that step from believer to disciple, that fruit begins to grow. It takes a while to grow fruit. Fruit doesn't just pop up overnight. You ask any of a, our plant growers, a horticulturalist here, it takes a while to grow fruit. It's a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's by hard work, by determination, by diligent and renewing your mind in the Scripture. Or are you bearing no fruit? And this, I will charge you, is where a position of a lot of Christians are today. And it's a very dangerous position. Because at this position, you are in more danger of going the opposite direction than you are at any other point in this, in this journey. How do you get to this point? How do you get to the point of not bearing fruit in your life, Christian life? A tree without fertilizer will not grow fruit in the terms of spiritual, in the spiritual world. Fertilizer is the Word of God. If you don't fertilize the tree... You don't give it the nutrients that it needs. If it doesn't rain, if it doesn't have water, if it doesn't have the ability, the fuel that it needs to bear that fruit, it will not bear. No growth equals no fruit. If a tree doesn't grow, if it's dead, it will not produce. You see where I'm going with this? Lastly, the fruit that we are bearing, is it possible that it's not revealing the character of God? It's not the fruit of the Spirit, but it is of the seven deadly sins. Lust, gluttony, greed, laziness, wrath, envy, pride. Matthew chapter 7, verses 18 and 19. Let's read it again. A good tree cannot bring forth bad fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is honed down and cast into the fire. So what does that say? Is it possible to have mixed fruit? No. Exactly. Good job. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. So how do, you, how do you explain this? Are you saying that Christians don't sin? Heavens no. 
That's not possible. Paul said, I die daily. Why did he die daily? Because you sin daily, but you recognize that it's a sin. You recognize that it's a grievance against the Holy Spirit. And you ask God for forgiveness of that sin to cleanse you, to forgive you, to help you to turn from it. We all fall into temptation. You're going to do it. We're human. We're this constant battle between carnal and holy. But we're to every day make that extra step to change, to make ourselves in some way more like the character of Christ. It's a journey. If you were perfect immediately after salvation, there would have been an instant rapture and you would have been in heaven. But you're not. It's a progression. God doesn't expect you to be sinless whenever you ask for salvation, but He'll take the rest. He's just asking you to surrender. I'm so glad that's the fact today. I'm glad I'm not expected to be perfect. I'm glad I'm not expected to be holy all the time. But I know that I have a Father whose grace is sufficient for me and He can forgive me of all my sins. What does this say? It's just as I said before, that it takes a long time to bear fruit. I'm talking the difference between a lifestyle of sin and then a daily sin. There's a difference. A lifestyle of sin is a lifestyle that someone is... is comfortable with. They're happy. They're okay. They don't feel any conviction. They don't feel any remorse for it. For instance, let's talk about a pathological liar. Someone who just is comfortable not telling the truth. Someone who is just okay with it. That there's, there's no, I mean, you can't trust one thing or the other, whether they tell you the weather or whatever it is. You can't trust them. I mean, you probably have someone in your mind right now that you are judging about being a pathological liar. But how, if you look at the Scripture, and we know that lying is a sin, can a Christian, can a believer feel comfortable in that daily pathological liar state? I charge you no. I charge you no. And there's countless other sins we could list that we've all been guilty of. But ask yourself, can a believer feel comfortable without conviction, live in a lifestyle of sin that is contrary to his character? And I say no. And to me, that is how you know that you've gone from this tree bearing good fruit to a tree bearing no fruit to a tree that is now bearing fruit of your father, the devil. That's not my words. That's scripture. So what do we do now? Now that we've kind of walked through the different types of bearing fruit, Now that we've seen that we're not just ju- we're not can't judge, but we're to be inspectors of fruit. Why do you think that God calls us to inspect this fruit? How can we know who to witness to unless we know that there's an issue? We have to be discerners because you're called. You know, I was talked about in Sunday school this morning about the different calls, different positions. We're all called to preach the gospel. We're all called to be ministers of the gospel. Did you know that? In some capacity, there's a separate call. For those who are meant to be ministers of God and be pastors and teachers and evangelists. But there are, we are all called to minister the gospel, to witness, spread the good news that it's Jesus Christ and He's alive and he's, He died for their sins but He rose again that you might have life and life eternal. We're all called to do that. But how do we do that? How do we know who to go up and witness to? Sometimes it's just God just says, speak to that person. You do it. It's obedience. But there's also, when there's people close around you, you have a very... I call it opportunity to see their lifestyle. You see what, is, what fruit they're bearing. And something doesn't seem exactly right. Something doesn't seem like it's reflecting the character of God. I'm not talking about that 
because they get mad at you one day, oh, they need Jesus bad. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about years will go by, even months will go by, and they're saying, man, they, they're, just, they're not demonstrating good fruit. And I charge you that that right there is the Holy Spirit letting you know that you need to talk to them. If you truly love them, you'll help them. You'll reveal to them the truth. Because why? Because if you're a believer, you know that the truth will set you free. And that any person, any family member or friend that you have that you're willing to stay in bondage, you don't love them. You don't care for them. How do I know that? Because if the character of Christ is in you, His heart bleeds for the lost. His heart bleeds for those that are apart from Him. And it wants reconciliation. It desires reconciliation. God created all of us for, for a relationship with Him. He longs for nothing more than a relationship with you. A relationship. So how then can we do this? Well, first we have to be open to the, to the Holy Spirit speaking to our lives. We have to deal with ourselves first. We have to do some internal inspection. Before you dare talk to anybody that you think might be lost, make sure you take the splinter out of your own eye. Ask yourself, am I growing? Am I closer to Christ today than I was yesterday? Am I closer to Christ in 2018 than I was in 2017? Am, am I bearing the fruit of the, of the Holy Spirit more today than I was in 2017? If not, examine yourself. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you where you're not growing. Let me tell you something. It's not easy, and it doesn't feel good. The pruning process isn't easy. It hurts. There's some pain involved. But if your heart's desire, if you're a believer, and you're making that discipleship progression, your desire becomes the desire of the Father. And in any area of your life that doesn't agree with His character and His heart, you know it. Because it feels like a phantom limb. It feels like something that's not supposed to be there. And because your life, you want to be more and more like Christ, you're willing to chop it off or ask God, just prune it off because He is the vine dresser, we're the vine. Lord, remove it from me. Take it away. Whatever area of my life that's not leading people to the cross, remove it from my life. That should be our prayer. Secondly, am I bearing fruit? Am I bearing, any, you know, am I bearing something? What am I bearing? One of the greatest things that I've ever heard to reveal to yourself that there's some eternal issues that you need to deal with, is if you were never to say another word, if you were to be removed from this earth immediately, would your friends, would your co-workers know that you're a Christian? That's hard. Were they, and you're saying, well, I don't have to talk about Jesus every day and every word that I say. No, you don't. But you can reveal the character of God. You can reveal love. You can reveal kindness. You can reveal gentleness. And then you're not afraid to openly speak about your faith. Why? You're not afraid of persecution. Because it means more than anything else in your life. It means more than your family. It means more than your spouse. It means more than your job. It means more than, than your dreams, your ambitions. Why? Because He is first and foremost in your life where He's supposed to be. And out of that position, He will automatically, that character will start coming through your life. Because if you're totally and surrendered to Him, everything else will fall into the right place. Remember the parable of the fig tree? You know what I'm talking about? Where Jesus comes up upon this fig tree looking for nourishment, looking for sustenance. 
And he sees this fig tree. He recognizes it's a fig tree. You know, he's seen one before. And there's no figs on it. There's no fruit, nothing. What happens to it? He withers it. What does that say of us? If Jesus comes up to you expecting nourishment, expecting sustenance, will he find fruit? If Jesus sends someone your way who needs a word of encouragement, who needs an uplifting, who needs love, who needs gentleness, who needs kindness, who needs his character, who needs salvation, will they find fruit? Or will they find a dead tree? If we're not bearing fruit, if we're not growing, we have no use to the kingdom of God. That's tough. That's tough to hear. But it's the truth. And that we're here, we're called for a purpose. We're saved for a purpose. There's benefits of salvation. There's eternal life. It's not just fire insurance, folks. It's a lifestyle. We're to, the world needs more now than anything else is the character of God. There's no other answer. People have tried to find it. Thousands and thousands of years have gone by. People searching to fill a God-shaped hole with something else. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It has failed. Only one thing will stand the test of time, and that is the Word of God, and that is His character and His love. He loves you. He cares about you. It doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done, who you are. He loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you. A believer desires to be used of God. Witnessing. It's easier to witness to a stranger or a family member who looks the part. It's easy to witness to that or talk to that family member who you know is, maybe they're in jail, maybe they're, you know, they've done a bunch of wrong things and you know that, man, I need to talk to them, I need to help them get their life straight. It's real easy to talk to that person. Or maybe you have a stranger on the street that you know is in doing the wrong thing. It's easy to talk up to, hey, why, let's, let's talk about this. But I charge you to think about this family member. What about that family member or friend who's really nice, maybe made a profession of faith at one point, but now they have no desire to attend church, no desire to read the Word of God, no desire to pray, to whom God, for them, is an afterthought. They know who He is. They know about Him. They've heard about him, but he can be picked up or dropped off at every holiday, at Easter, Christmas, but after that they put him on a shelf, or maybe they even take him down every now and then when they're in trouble. They'll talk to him, they say, God help me, I'm struggling right now, and then once their little, their little problem is solved, they'll put him back on the shelf. To him, Jesus is like a genie. I have a wish... God, grant me this, and then I can put you back on the shelf to deal with you another time. That person, I charge you, is where the difficulty is going to come. You can't be saved by how nice you are. You can't be saved by, saved by church attendance. You can't be saved by how much you read the Bible. But you are saved through a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And out of that relationship, we'll bear the fruit of wanting to be in His presence every moment of every day. I'm not talking about going around so heavily minded you're no earthly good. But I'm talking about being in a constant state of, God, show me something today. Help me find someone I can spread the gospel to. Whether it's just telling them that you love them or I love you. Or that I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. 
you'll want to read the Bible. Because why? It's His love letter written to you. And how do you get this fruit? How do you bear this character? You bear it by renewing your mind. This world will tarnish you like nothing else. You step out in this world, there's nothing that the demons or the enemy wants more than to change your life and to make it so tarnished that, that you just are so worn down that you don't want to spread the gospel. Because the enemy knows if he can get you in a place where you're so depressed, you're so defeated, you're so tarnished by the things of this world that your life is so difficult that you don't, want to, you don't feel like spreading the gospel. But when you renew your mind, you realize that you're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus. That you're the head and not the tail. That no weapon formed against you shall prosper. This is the promises for the heirs of Christ that we are through salvation. To true faith is evidenced by your actions. Remember our initial scriptures? For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of works, lest any man should boast. In James, by works a man is justified, and not by faith alone. And faith without works is dead. Remember that? The faith that is described in Ephesians, whereby we are saved, is evidenced by right actions. A believer cannot continue to be in a habitual sinful lifestyle and feel secure and comfortable with it. We as believers will sin every day, but willingly choose to remain in that lifestyle it does not demonstrate a character of God. It takes a while to grow fruit. But again, as I've said before, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. That when we come to Christ, we become a believer. We turn 180 degrees in the opposite direction. We're no longer headed where we were headed before. We're turned facing the cross, facing Jesus, picking up our cross and following Him. You know, Patrick and I were talking about that the other day. Picking up that cross. What does that mean? That cross is heavy. The cross is rugged. It's not that pretty polished cross that you see in churches. It's no splinters, nothing. It's all nice and it's lightweight. No, that cross is heavy. It's, it's hard to be a Christian. It's a daily commitment. It's a daily walk. It's a weight. But I'm so glad I don't have to bear it myself. Because guess what? There is the Father holding it right there beside me. We as believers have become so afraid of offending our lost loved ones and friends that we'll willingly let them to die without Jesus and willing to let them spend an eternity separated from God in hell before we approach them with the truth of the gospel. <clears throat> this world is waxing worse and worse. Jesus is coming soon. I've heard that all my life. But believe it more today than I did yesterday. Why is that? Why do, I, why do I think that? Why do I know that? Why do I have that in my spirit? Because if you, if you look at the news, if you look at the way this world is going, people are just horrible to each other. Wars are I mean, rumors of wars. I mean, everything, this is just the scripture coming to life. So if you believe that, and if you think, well, Jesus is going to tarry a little bit longer, let me tell you something. Even if you believe that, death will come for you. Amen. And there are, just I've heard it before, there are small caskets and there's large caskets. I've seen it in my life. People taking way too soon. Way too soon. And people taking in the end of their life. We don't know that hour, we don't know that time. But we know it's coming. 
Are you ready? And is the person that God has brought to your mind during this sermon, are they ready? And if you can safely say that they are, great. But if you can't, let's fix that. Let's remedy that. Are we willing to sacrifice their salvation because of our fear of being offensive? Many people like that Savior part. They have a difficulty with the Lord part. But when you come to know Jesus, when you come to receive Him in your heart, you make Him Lord and Savior. It is not a one or the other. It is a joint deal. What is that? Why they have difficulty with that? Because the Lord part means that you have to submit. That you are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Is that not right? Our will can no longer become our will. There's no such thing as your will anymore. It is God's will. What is God's will for my life? So let us examine ourselves today. Let us examine, do some internal inspection. Out of the internal inspection, once you get things right with yourself, then ask God to show you some outward outreach that you need to do. As Aunt Joe comes and is going to play for us. With every head bowed and every eye closed. I just hope that you can, for a moment, brief moment in time, forget about who's sitting next to you. Because in the end, they won't be there. In the end, the only person standing before you and God is you. We're all going to have to give an account. Either going to be standing before Him as Lord and Savior or standing before Him as Judge. And I charge you, please, I plead with you today, please make Him Lord and Savior that you're standing before. And if you say, Justin, everything's right with me there. I know He's my Lord and Savior. What about that person that God brought to your mind? Are you willing to not say anything? Are you willing to let them go? Are you willing to make that, take that chance? Are you willing to say, it's not my job, someone else will do it? Just think about that. What if everyone in, in your life said that about you? Think about that person that led you to the Lord. What if they chose not to say anything? Would you know Jesus today? What about that grandmother, that grandfather, that mother, that father that prayed for you? What if they said, not me, let someone else do it? Today is the day. Today is all we have that we know we have. Let's make things right today. So if you're sitting there and you're saying, Justin, I know that I'm not bearing the fruit that displays the character of God in my life. I know that I'm not bearing any fruit. I know something's not right. And I want to make that change today. Please slip up your hand. No one looking around. No one judging you. Amen, I see that hand. Amen, I see that hand. Amen. Anyone else? Anyone else? If you're saying, Justin, I don't know this Jesus that you're talking about. I thought I had a relationship. I made a profession of faith at one time, but I know that my faith was not genuine. I haven't seen a change in my life. I'm the one that puts God on the pedestal and just leaves Him for times of hardship, but I don't have a daily relationship with Him. If that's you and you want to make that change today, slip up your hand saying, that's me. Amen. I see that hand. Amen, I see that hand. Anyone else? With no one looking around, 
charge of this altar is open. This altar is open to anyone who wants to come. This altar is not magical, but what it does say is that you don't care about what anybody else thinks. All you care about is the thing, changes that you need to make for God. It's being willingly to be subject to that Lord and that Master that is Jesus Christ. If you're not saved today, and you want to make that right, repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And without you, I'm eternally lost. But I recognize that you love me. That you died for me. That you shed your precious blood for me. And that you didn't stay in that grave, but you rose again. Lord, I ask you now, I accept that free gift. I make you Lord and Savior of my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live daily to be more like you. I thank you, Lord, for accepting me and making me a son and daughter in the family of God. And I thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As you're sitting there, I charge you to think about that family member. Take this time. You may not have it again. Just pray for them right now. Ask God to meet them where they are. Help Him help them to give you the courage to be bold, to, to walk up to them and talk to them. Give you the right words. Because it's difficult, but nothing is impossible with Christ. Let us pray. Father, we love you. We thank you, Lord, so much for your word. We thank you for that truth that does set us free, and that truth is the gospel, the gospel of your word. I'm thankful, that, Lord, that you love us, that you take care of us, that you are our Heavenly Father, that you have great plans for each and every one of us, and that, Lord, you desire a relationship with everyone in this room. And, Father, I pray that after the day that no one would leave this house without making that right. I thank you, Lord, for those that have accepted you as Lord and Savior. I, and, Lord, I know that when one person accepts you as Lord and Savior, the angels in heaven rejoice. Amen. Lord, I thank you for that. And I ask that you would help them in this new relationship, Father. I ask that you would help them, give them the strength that I know that you could give. Lord, help them to be in your word, to stay in your word, to find a Bible-believing church that will help them in their way. And, Father, I pray for those family members and loved ones that have been brought to our attention. Give us that boldness. Give us that strength to approach them in kindness and in grace after having dealt with the things in our life that don't agree with you, Father, but help us to lead them to the path that you would have for their life. Help us today as we walk out of this room into the mission field to do what you have called us to do, to accomplish that which you've called us to accomplish. And in all things, everything that we say, do, and think, bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. morning. I don't see not one fair weather Christian in here this morning. Thank y'all for coming out on this bitterly cold day.
it sounds good to you, on the first very nice Sunday we have, we're going to leave the doors open when we come in here and worship. How's that sound? We'll just let the joy fall out of the building and pour out in the street. And I'm not just joking. I think that's a wonderful idea. We shouldn't be hoarding all this joy we got inside these walls. We need to let it slip out. Y'all turn with me to Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53 today. The first thing I want to do today is share with you the provision that's already been made for our healing. Does anybody want to hear anything about some healing today? If you don't need healing for yourself, you probably have some family that needs some healing. Take a pen. Make sure you have a pen and a piece of scratch paper today because I'm going to mention a lot of scriptures and we may not go to each scripture. But you may want to check these out later on. Father, in the name of Jesus, I humble myself before you and before these people today asking for your forgiveness and your cleansing of anything and everything that doesn't look like your son Jesus. I pray for divine wisdom to fall on me. I pray through your power that I can get myself out of the way and let your Holy Spirit do what it means needs to do today. And God bless the reading of your word. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. So right here in Isaiah 53 is a very thorough provision made for our healing. So I'm going to read it through, and then I'll make some comments. But praise God that Jesus was willing to do all this for us, to walk through this fiery trial on our behalf. It wasn't for His sins, and it wasn't for His healing It was for ours. God bless his word. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. When we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet did we esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb. So he opened not his mouth. 
He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who should declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Praise the living God for offering his son for us. It's hard to read that and not have the adoration and praise well up inside of you where you can, can, can hardly contain it. I think Jesus deserves our praise and our adoration and our worship. You know, there's millions of angels that fall down and worship Jesus. He doesn't need our praise and worship from us. We need to give it to him, though. You know, and there's some language here that's, um, if you read it at face value, there's some translations, some things that were lost when it went from Greek, from Hebrew in this version. When it went from Hebrew to the American language, it lost some of the, the meaning. Um, and it's even confusing when you see, uh, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him in verse 10. In the Greek, in verse 10, the Greek, I'm sorry, the Hebrew word is called fates. And it's the will. It's the will of God to bruise him. It was the plan of God to bruise him. It was something God had in his mind to bruise Jesus. As sad as it was, it was necessary. And then um, in 11, when it says, He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. That's hard to imagine a father looking at a son going through this and being satisfied. But the word satisfied is sabaya. And it means, it's the Hebrew word, it means have enough or it is sufficient. Meaning the travail of Jesus' soul when he was going through all this it satisfied what was required. It was abundant enough to require what would the penalty for our sin. And if you'll go, I'm not going there, but Leviticus chapter 4, <clears throat> over and over again in Leviticus chapter 4, it gave instructions how the priests supposed to slaughter the lambs. And, and three times in that chapter, it mentions to lay his hand on the head of the lamb and slaughter it. And again, it, it mentions to lay, your hand, lay the hand on the head of the lamb and slaughter it. And even again, it mentioned to lay 
the hand on the head of the lamb and to slaughter it. The only thing that was required for Jesus' blood to be payment in full for our sins was that he was slaughtered and he shed his blood. All the beating and all the mocking and all the spitting and all the pulling of the beard and all the ridiculing and all this extra, the beating that Jesus took was above and beyond the requirement that paid for our sin. By his stripes, we are healed. There was, it was necessary that God the Father allow this to be bestowed upon Jesus for our healing. He had to go above and beyond just shedding his blood and forgiving us of our sins. But so there's this provision that's already been made and is sitting here for you. And the question is, have you reached out and grabbed it? Have you pursued it? Have you pushed for it? Y'all go with me to Genesis 15. Genesis chapter 15, verses 9 through 11. <clears throat> so, um, <clears throat> giving you a little backstory, God is about to make a covenant with Abram. His name's not Abraham yet. But God's about to make a covenant with Abram, and he gave him some instructions. And in 9, he said, He said unto him, Take me a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. God instructed Abram to gather up these animals, split the bigger animals down the middle and to place the pieces where you could walk between them. This is how you made a blood covenant. Now, if God gave Abram the instructions to do this, don't you think God could have kept the fowls from coming down on them? Why did Abram have to drive the fowls away off the sacrifice? And in the same way, y'all go with me to Matthew 13. Matthew chapter 13. We all know the parable of the sower. Starting in verse 4, or sorry, starting in 3, it said, He spoke many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. 
And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. And then skipping down to 18, he's given uh, the meaning of the parable. And he says, Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which received the seed by the wayside. And my message to you today, when you receive the word of God, you need to drive those fowls away. They're coming to snatch up the seed that was planted. He's given us a warning right here. You remember uh, the sermon last Sunday? Do you remember the scripture last Sunday? I don't want you to answer that, but just think about that for a minute. Study his word. Follow up on it. Don't let the enemy come snatch that word away, especially this word that you're getting today. We need healing people. Do you know healing is right there and it's slipping right between our fingers because we can't drive the fowls away? And you know the enemy, we know his advices. We know his games. And he's a disruptor. He's always coming to disrupt and confuse. Sometimes we're just, we got the Word of God right in front of us. We're overwhelmed. We, it, it's not even making sense to us. That's the enemy. He comes and he disrupts and he causes confusion. He causes contentions. And even though we've got the words of life right here, the words of healing right here, we just can't seem to connect the dots. You ever notice that? We just can't seem to pull it all together. Well, there is a real enemy that's in our midst. There's a real provision. It says right here in Isaiah 53, there's a real provision for our healing, people. Y'all understand? And there's a real enemy right here trying to stir it all up, keep us busy, keep us distracted, keep us just one too many things on our schedule today that we can't connect these dots of what God's telling us to receive our healing. And again, I say... Pursue it. Take it by force. Take his promises by force. Thank you, Ann. In Matthew 13, 3 and 4 and 18, 19, it's right there where the fowls are coming down to steal it. Y'all turn with me to Matthew eleven twelve. We're right here close. I'm just driving home what I've already said. Matthew 11:12, and this is Jesus speaking. And he said, And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent taketh by force. And uh, Luke 16:16, 16, 16, you don't have to turn there, but it said, And they presseth into it. The kingdom is preached, and men presseth into it. That means you strive into the word of God. You strive into the kingdom. And now, um, Mark 5. I'm going to tell y'all a very familiar story that we're all familiar with. Uh, 
Matter of fact, I'm going to give y'all three examples of healing in the scripture. And there's a many, many more. And you should take it upon yourself to, to research and to just look at each example of healing in the scripture and ask yourself, well, how does this apply to me? Well, how do I get that for myself? Um, and pay attention to the little subtle little messages that's in there. You have to turn off the TV to do that, though, by the way. Even TBN, you got to turn that off to get into the Word of God. Amen? So in 24, we all know the story of the, the certain woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years, and doctors couldn't help her, right? And a certain woman had an issue of blood of 12 years and suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. Now, is the Bible making this stuff up or does this sound, does this sound real? And listen to this very carefully in 27. When she had heard of Jesus, amen? When she heard of Jesus, she came in and pressed in behind and touched his garment. For she said, if I may touch but of his clothes, I shall be whole. Amen. And straightway the fountain, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. Do you think it's an accident that she heard of Jesus? And she went to approach Jesus for healing. But do you know Jesus was busy at that moment? That this um, centurion had asked Jesus, Hey, my 12-year-old daughter's dying. Please come and, and, you know, and, and heal her. And there was already a multitude. It's, Jesus was surrounded with a throng of people, a multitude. That was already um, an obstacle enough for the older lady. He had this multitude thronging him. Then he had the centurion saying, Come, come, come. My daughter's on the death's door. Please come save my daughter. And in the middle of that, that woman pressed in behind him through the crowd and touched him. What if she would have looked at Jesus and said, oh, this is a bad time right now. I would have done that, probably. I would have said, I need something from Jesus. But when I saw the crowd and I saw the guy literally practically pulling Jesus, come on, my daughter, come on, my daughter, I, pro I probably would have said, oh, I'll, I'll try to catch him at the next road. This woman didn't settle for that. She gritted her teeth and she said, I will take it by force. I will pursue it. I will get it. It is mine. My healing is right there. I have to get... And this woman, she did it. She pushed through and she got her healing. Amen? Keep that in mind. This provision on the paper is going to be on this paper until you take it. Same thing with salvation. Another example, Second Chronicles 16. Second Chronicles chapter 16, one verse. This would be the example of healing that we do, do not want to follow. 
in verse 12, and, and uh, Asa was the king at the time. And it said in 12, and Asa in the 30th and 9th year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. There's nothing wrong with going to the doctor, people. But where do you go first? Not What? And not only do you go to the Lord first, but you go to the Lord always. Even on your trip to the doctor. And you pray for your doctor. So he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. And one more example. And I told y'all earlier there's many, many examples. Y'all turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. I think most of you are familiar with this story. I love this story. Second Kings chapter 5. I'm going to give you the backstory, and then I'm going to pick it up in chapter 9. But Naaman was a captain of the army of Syria. He was a great man, but he, but he had leprosy. Well, one of their conquests in Israel, they came back with some captives. One of them was a, a little maid, so I'm assuming she was short like me, a little maid. But she was a maid to Naaman's mistress. And the little maid said one day, there's a prophet in Israel that he can cure you of this leprosy. And so he told the king of Syria, and King Syria sent letters over to the king of Israel saying, you know, heal my captain of my guard. And the king of Israel rent his clothes because he said, this guy's picking a fight with me. Who am I to make somebody live or die or to heal somebody? Then... The, the prophet Elisha got word that the king of Israel rent his clothes and he sent word to the king of Israel, tell Naaman to come on and I'll heal him and then he'll know that there's a prophet in Israel. So now, we're gonna, so now Naaman, along with a bunch of treasure from the king of Syria, is coming over and he's going to Elisha's house. You're going to love this. Go with me in verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him saying, Go, wash in the Jordan seven times and thy flesh shall come again to thee and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was wroth and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. Are not Abana and the Farpar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? May I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned away and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee do some great thing, 
wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he said to thee, Wash and be clean? Then went he down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's get off of our high horse. Let's humble ourselves. Let's get rid of the pride. The, the, the pride is one of the um, tactics of the enemy. Remember I was saying he's stirring up the confusion and he's, he's gotten you where you can't connect the dots. Well, one of his favorite tools in his tool chest is our pride that's in an, our heart. And until Naaman humbled himself and obeyed and went and dipped himself seven times, he was not healed. James chapter 5. That's way back after Hebrews, right before 1 Peter. This is the part of the scripture I'm going to read today when you're sitting there looking at me with that look on your face and you're saying, what does this have to do with me? And I'm glad you asked because it's right here in James chapter 5. Through the apostle James, we're given instructions. We are. This is after Jesus has come and made the provision for our healing. Now, this is James giving us, me and you, our instructions. Just like Elisha gave Naaman his instructions. And Elisha didn't give Naaman his instructions directly. He sent a messenger. Now, God sent a messenger, James, to give us our instructions for healing. Very simple instructions right here. In verse 14, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he haven't committed any sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another. And pray for another, one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Was that complicated? Uh, are you sitting there thinking, well, I don't want everybody to know my business. I would rather not call the elders and make a public spectacle of myself. We don't believe it. There's some that don't believe it. Don't believe it'll work. And you're already defeated before you even tried. You know what I say? I say you should obey what the Word says. And you may do everything right. You may obey the Word. And you may call the elders... By the way, the elders in the Greek here is the presbyteros. It's the elderly. 
the older people, the seniors of the church, and the order of the elders. I thought for sure when I looked it up in the Greek, it was going to say the people that run the church. Nope, it didn't say the people that run the church. It didn't say the pastor. It said the elderly, the senior, the mature people in the church. I call them to come lay hands on you, to anoint you with oil, to confess your sins one to another. Am I allowed to say that? Confess your faults one to another. Well, one of the meanings of faults in this Greek word is sin. So you could be conscientious and you could have pride where you wouldn't want to call the elders to your assistance. That means you haven't humbled yourself. Maybe you're not sick enough yet. How sick do you have to be before you obey the scripture? You might be sitting there and you might have a judgmental spirit. The, the enemy of your soul, he's satisfied with any one of the excuses you want to use. He doesn't care what excuse. You may be judgmental and say, I don't want those people to lay their hands on me. The enemy doesn't care. Whatever it takes to keep you from obeying the word of God, that's his mission. And my closing statement, you may follow the letter to the T, and you may do everything God's asked you to do in his word, and you still might not get the healing. God is still God, and he's still on his throne, and he may choose to heal you on the other side. My question for you today is, have you done everything that he's told you to do? And until you do everything he's told you to do, then don't ask God why. And if Richie will come play. Thank you, Richie. You don't have to sing along. He's playing the music only today. And as always, we're given an invitation that this is the altar. You can come kneel at the altar. Also, these two front pews is a very comfortable place to come sit and pray. It's an extension of our altar. I ask that these scriptures that were said and you're hearing today that you will take it to heart. Don't let the provision that God provided slip through your fingers. Pursue your healing. Take it by force. Stand on the promises of God. And after you've done everything you know to do, and that does include driving the fowls away, you drive the enemy away from your promise and your provision. You've done everything you know to do and you've obeyed to the best of your ability. then you look up to God and you say, not my will, but thy will be done.
if anybody wants special prayer and they don't want to come down to the altar, you can contact me, call me anytime, 24-7. Search your hearts, people. Your family needs you to know this. Your friends need you to know this. Your co-workers need you to know this. You need you to know this. Any more announcements before we pray and depart? I will be um, bringing the word 7 o'clock tonight, and it's a, casual, it's a casual setting where you can raise your hand and ask questions or add to. We also will be talking about our day of outreach we had tonight given testimony about that. So, y'all are welcome. Your Honor, would you stand up and close us? Thank you. 